0: This week on Inside Motorsport, we round out our chat with Ron Taranak. I hope you'll stay with us. Over the past few weeks, you've heard a lot about Ron Taranak, possibly Australia's greatest motor racing engineer, and how he has worked through so many different phases of motor racing. Today, we ask him about some of the people he's come across, starting with Ron Dennis.
1: I don't know that I was heavily involved with them. Uh, I just, when, when Ron Dennis left, uh, he wanted a couple of cars, probably Formula 2 at the time, I'm not sure about Formula 2, and uh, he didn't have the money to buy them, so I lent him or, two cars for the year and he paid for them at the end of the year, which I think he acknowledges now in some print uh, even though it left me a little bit in in the lurch uh but apart from that i never had much to do with him no, I never really had. When I was going to start Ralt again, I did the decent thing, and because he'd stopped making production cars, and I rang him up and asked him if he'd mind if I went back into business doing that. He said, no, OK, uh, otherwise done nothing. The, the next time we were in contact was uh, when uh, a chap had written uh, Bernie's story. Again, I forget his name. He's just written the second one about him. And he interviewed me on the telephone about Bernie, and I told him about the deal that uh, Bernie had done with me, how it was going to be the business was to be sold for assets value. And I valued it, sort of valued it was all valued at the cost price of everything, all legitimate £130,000 and it was all agreed and right at the 11th hour when I had sort of quit my relationships with everything and arranged for me to take the wife and two kids out to Australia for a holiday for a month or so he rings me up and offered me uh, 100000 for it instead of 130. and I thought, Jesus, I should have said to him, look, you're a man of your word you've offered me this, you can't change your mind but I didn't think of those things at the Time I was smart enough. I just thought about what a bloody disaster if I don't take it. So I took his money, and as it happened, apart from the value of the things, I didn't realise. But I had sixty thousand pounds in the bank, which should have been an asset, or I should have drawn it out and paid tax on it. But I didn't think of that thing, and i just formed an overseas company to uh, to sell cars to American everywhere from the offshore company, and it was all done legit. I had a. Uh, out of the Island Man, yeah, and the uh, yeah, I think it was something like that. And the uh, accountant had gone to uh, the, the lawyers and got it all certified that it was legal. And I didn't realise that was a subsidiary company. I didn't realise he was going to get that too. So he got that and whatever money was in that, uh, he got a good deal. I could have just shut it down,
0: taken the money, and then just sold the spares off for profit. But anyway. I didn't. You've built some amazing race cars, some extremely successful race cars. Is there a a top five, perhaps, that you've got? I wouldn't remember. How many cars have you built? Uh, I think it's about 1,650. And out of that, how many different designs? There was about about 500
1: Brabham's and the rest were Rults, but I don't know how many different designs, because originally, with Rolt, we just called them RT1s and they happened to be a Formula Junior, Formula 2, Formula 3, Formula Atlantic, Formula Super V and then only when uh, and we just changed the amount of uh, petrol tank space and maybe the the tyres or the brakes to suit the different formula and then a bit later on uh, if you could see what was happening in the reg so we made a different car for each formula so I think we called them, uh, there was an RT4 I think it was the Atlantic and various other names but how many just read Mike Lawrence's book, it's all listed in there, how many cars, that's where I added up how many I'd built because I I just uh, uh, there are a lot of magazine articles but I just had big cartons and I'd just toss any articles in this carton a box and when I'd sold uh, out uh, Ralt to March Engineering uh, in 88 or 9 we were moving from a big house into an apartment and I thought what the hell do I do with all this stuff, I haven't got room for anywhere and this chap had been going Mike Lawrence had been talking to a friend who knew me uh, that he'd to write a book, and I wasn't interested. And then when we got going to move house, I thought, oh, well, I'll get back onto this chap that knows the fellow that wants to write the book. And he made contact, and Mike Lawrence got in touch with me, and we just gave him the whole carton so he had that. And he... Also, was fairly well placed to write the book because he'd all written, already written the the book on March and the book on uh, Reynard. Yeah, he'd written those two books, and he was uh, taught literature, I think, at the. Uh, University of of, uh, Southampton and that was near Goodwood so he attended a lot of the practice sessions at Goodwood and so he knew everything that was going on in racing he knew more than I did so I thought okay so he wrote the book and uh, people that read it reckon it's a good story because I said look if you're going to write a book I don't want to go race by race and he did this and that I said write a story and I said if you want to you can put a glossary in the back and list the number of cars and he did that so now I keep a book handy because people ring me up and want to know what car was this and
0: I just look up the page. Oh, so and so. You can't remember them. I can't remember that many. What do you think <laughs> of the engineering nowadays? And when you look at the Formula Series and Formula One as it is now, uh, it's all about money. And you see the. Uh the people now, there's very few people
1: that know all over about the car. In my day, there was one bloke that knew, and you'd go to a race engineering, and uh, the driver would pull up and tell you what the car was doing, and you can make adjustments, and out he'd go all in minutes. Now they've got to download the computer.
0: Do you think the change now, where the engineers... Uh got more information than the driver has is is a good thing for motor racing?
1: He hasn't got the information in his head, it's all on, downloaded from electronic controls and downloaded into his computer and just analyses that, but as far as being able to uh, listen to a driver and say what to do doesn't happen,
0: I don't think, anymore Some of them know about it, but not, not too many Do you think that there were better drivers out there, perhaps, in those early days, but they weren't able to communicate back what they needed, and it was It was uh, perhaps yours and Jack's ability to to talk and work through these problems?
1: I I don't know. Uh, Because other drivers, it wasn't only Jack that was good in my cars. We've only got to look at how many won all sorts of races. And they communicated in their own teams with their their drivers and so forth. I think uh, Jack probably put himself at a little bit of a disadvantage in some way as far as publicity goes because uh, he wasn't a very good communicator with the press or anything uh, and I wasn't and uh, and we didn't bribe any of the journalists as others did uh, and also Jack never drove a race faster than he needed to to get the position than he could get. If he obviously felt he couldn't beat the first bloke he'd come second just ahead of the third bloke whereas if he'd pushed on he might have made the first bloke make a mistake or blow up or something but Jack just very good at preserving the car uh, and when Rent drove for us, Rint's got this reputation of being a really top driver and he was but like I can remember at Zandvoort they were both driving the same car uh, or it was a similar car and I think Jack qualified about a, maybe a tenth of a second slower than Rent up on the front row, uh, but after each race, you'd have to take the head off rinse engine and redo all the valve gear, because he'd kept the thing up at 10,000 RPM with all, um, and gear changes, where Jack would just take it and, and go through the gears, and, and if there was a corner coming up, and he knew that he was if he changed gear up, he was going to have to change down again, he just backed off and arrived at the corner, and just saved the engine, his engine, and maybe five races for, against Rint's one, and yet he was nearly as quick, but again, he didn't and push those things, and he's just saved the car. It was just a completely different way of, of doing it because being a good engineer himself, he knew what he had to do to save it.
0: I guess that's uh, the, uh, the ultimate difference between someone who's very fast and someone who uh, tries to uh, get the most out of their equipment. I, I always remember um, Alan Grice saying, well, I'll win if the car's strong enough. Yeah.
1: Well, of course, with those V8s, it's all about tyres. And you've got to be able to uh, manage your tyres because there's a limited amount of tyres and choose the right ones and which ones you, you change, whether you do just this one side or the back or the front. And, and uh, you, the drivers have really got to learn how to how to drive to save their tyres and the, and the people running the team have also got to know what to do do you enjoy the saloon car racing now i don't take any interest in it <laughs> i don't i'm not bothered about racing but if i'm uh, engaged by someone to engineer their car or do something then i yeah I take an interest in it but as far as spectating i didn't come out here to spectate i come out to meet a few people say
0: hello to them and that people i knew well i uh, thank you very much for your time today and uh wish you all the best thank you thank you nice to do That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.